0: Welcome back to the Inking Out Loud podcast. I am your host today, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my special guest and Star Wars connoisseur, John.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, and of course, John being back means we are covering Star Wars, and we're continuing on with the Alphabet Squadron trilogy by Alexander Freed. Today we're covering Shadowfall, book two. Uh, But before we jump into it, I just want to Put a reminder out there, if you want to support Inking Out Loud, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com inkingoutloud. You can get access to original fiction from Rob and myself, monthly newsletter, early access to episodes, bonus episodes, all kinds of fun stuff. So take a look over there. Or if you want to do a one-time uh, one-time donation, you can find us on Coffee. that is ko-fi.com. But that said, let's get on into it. Shadowfall, the second of Alexander Freed's Alphabet Squadron trilogy, picks up some time after the events of the first book. Alphabet Squadron is part of General Syndulla's task force, aimed at capturing the Cerberon system, and more specifically, the planet Troyth. While they are steadily overrunning the Imperials there, they're under-equipped. Despite that, they are working to lay a trap for shadowing, now under the command of Major Soren Keys. but Keys has other plans. Instead of springing their trap, he captures the rundown star destroyer Edict and makes a full frontal assault on the Republic forces in the Cerberon system. With comms jammed and chaos reigning, Alphabet Squadron is separated and the rest of the Rep- Republic forces are crushed. Chass finds herself stranded on the world of Katedra, where she joins a cult. Eureka, Aiden, and Ito crash on a mysterious world home to a Sith temple. Kairos is injured and presumed lost, and Nath and Will are left to lead the ragtag Republic forces left on Troith. Elements converge as Aiden dies and Erica finally admits her lies. Chas escapes the cult, and Will takes command of a new squadron with Nath. They battle the 204th above and inside the huge mining facility on the far side of Troyth, where Keys has found a cargo hauler capable of ferrying shadowing out of the system. General Sindula arrives just in time to prevent disaster, but shadowing escapes and joins forces with Grand Admiral Ray Sloan. So, second book... Uh, stronger bug. Yeah, from the get-go, uh actually not from the get-go, at least not for me. Uh I struggled through the first half of this book as well, mm-hmm. but around when uh the Lodestar gets destroyed and Shadow Wing lands on the planet and uh, everybody in Alphabet Squadron is just kind of you know scattered. Scattered. Uh at that point I thought there was a massive improvement in the story and in the characters uh individual plot lines because i've i this is good for like the style discussion because i had this issue with alphabet squadron where he structures his chapters with like kind of sub chapters and each chapter has to have a point of view from each of these you know right. principal members of alphabet squadron and sometimes the result of that i feel is were we're spending unnecessary page time, like, because he has to stick with this formula. Uh, and there's not always interesting things going on with all the characters. You end up just kind of trudging through points of view sometimes. But after that turn, I was engaged with every single one of their points of view, Mm -hmm. even chess. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I, before I stepped into this book, um, this is one of those newer Star Wars series that has had positive press and I've yeah. heard positive things about from like sources that I trust. And I think we talked about last with alphabet squadron where it was kind of like, Oh, okay. You know, like this is, this is all right. We'll see where this goes, but it, it you know, it didn't blow me away. Yeah, um, and I, I remember hearing that shadow fall was, a big step up in quality from that and and you're right for the first half of this book i was kind of like
0: more of the same
1: okay yeah like this doesn't really feel that different if anything it feels just kind of directionless and then halfway through everybody splits off all the characters are doing their own thing and um it just got a lot more compelling
0: yeah and uh, so the other big improvement I thought was having uh, keys as our shadowing point of view rather than Nurest. Mm, yeah. Because Nures never did anything to you know for me like yeah. she wasn't a compelling character. There wasn't much in the way of good conflict going on in her points of view. It was just like a oh let's check in with shadowing and see what they're doing. Whereas yeah. with Keys here, he does have a conflict, and and he has the benefit of you know the Devon storyline in the first book, where we know his internal landscape a lot better, and there's a tragedy to him throughout this book because of what he went through as Devon, and then choosing to go back to shadowing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Nereus was a perfunctory role. Keys is a character yeah,
0: yeah. A good way to put it yeah uh like he's you know he starts off this book where he's just sort of an outside observer who's joined shadowing like they don't really respect him anymore they're not allowing right. him to command they're not uh not really listening to him even when he makes suggestions or sees flaws in their plans and and there are consequences. And then he has to work kind of to be accepted by all the squadron captains again. And eventually they say, yeah, you know, here are the, the keys to the kingdom. Essentially. Uh, you're our commander.
1: He has to earn his way back into the empire since he tried to dip out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so, so we have a much more compelling, antagonist point of view and then combined with more interesting protagonist points of view, at least through the second half of the book. And uh, like, I don't know, I I guess as I'm thinking about this in, in the big, in the grand scheme, in alphabet squadron, the first half of the book almost felt unnecessary. Like that could have been condensed into 20 or 30 pages Mm -hmm. You know, we spent half the book just getting Alphabet Squadron together.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, and then the second half of the book was better, but still wasn't amazing. And I feel like the first half of this book was better than the first half of Alphabet Squadron. Agreed. But it was like it was more comparable to the second half of Alphabet Squadron, and then the second half of this book took another step up, and, and that gives me hope for the third book that you know we're we've now kind of leveled up twice. Yeah. In the quality of the series.
1: Well, I think. The, the reason the first half of this book is stronger than the first half of the first one is I think keys and quell are interesting to read for the whole book. Yeah. Um, couldn't say that in the first one, like ab- about the characters in general. Yes. Um, but, yeah, in this book, those two characters are always – I'm always happy when their chapters pop up. 100%. Some of the others are still a bit tedious, uh, at least in the beginning. Um, but even those – Yeah,
0: Chass is still yeah, awful.
1: But even the tedious characters get more interesting in the second half.
0: Right. Like, Chass is obnoxious and annoying, and I don't like her. Right. But her stuff with the cult, the yeah. what is it, like the Children of the Dying Sun? Something or, like yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that that kind of mini sequence was much more interesting and i hope that her uh rivalry her antagonism with cedia Mm -hmm. from that extends into the next book as well because you know cedia did escape right um although i found it interesting that she wasn't mentioned at all after she escapes i was expecting her to show back up you know hook up with keys and the cargo hauler when they
1: well you just gotta read yeah. the third one and find out
0: yeah i i, I <laughs> would get to that i just finished this book uh this morning
1: so and, yeah you haven't read victory's prize no okay
0: yeah uh but but yeah like he, even even my least favorite character in this i was at least interested in what was happening around her in the second half of this book and then my favorite character on the other hand you know with erica quell her plotline in the second half of this was great. And I'm super excited to see what, where that goes, you know, with her rejoining shadow wing. And I like that freed leaves it a little ambivalent of, of whether she's fully going undercover or if this is something that could end up with her truly rejoining the Imperials.
1: The strength of the way he writes it is like, I'm not even sure that the character herself knows. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That was like a really good way to end the book. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So as far as um, writing style goes and, and getting into the, like the really nitty gritty here, I, I believe I brought up this uh, kind of, bothered me a bit in alphabet squadron and it's still going on here is the way freed is kind of afraid to just call them lasers hmm. he has to come up with like a new fancy tech term for a laser bolt the,
1: the, thor- the source of laser beams yeah yeah, yeah. like and, and it, i didn't it's been a while since i've read this book but i didn't pick up on that
0: yeah it, it's <laughs> it, it just really kind of stuck in my craw as i was reading through it and it's a bummer because other than that, generally speaking, I think he writes pretty good Starfighter combat. He does. Um, there are a couple of a couple of things that I'm not sure if it's just Freed is has a different idea of this than other authors, or if this is something that has been officially retconned in new Disney canon. But I'm bothered that inertial compensators don't appear to be a thing.
1: Oh, I.
0: Like there sure. there well, are lots of references to, you know, like uh Will's repulsor lifts are messed up and his ship is like canting ten degrees uh-huh. on its axis and he's like leaning in his seat to deal with it and and there are points where they're, you know, pulling maneuvers and thinking about how they can't do much of a maneuver because they're gonna black out and and I'm just thinking like in the old expanded universe, like they have inertial compensators for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, None of these would be issues. I've,
1: I've just given up on having consistent rules in my star Wars, but sometimes you get one of those things that's a bit farther out there and you actually like pick up on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh,
0: So uh, another interesting kind of continuity thing, uh, the temperance, the ship that general Sandula, arrives mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. at the end of the book apparently in the first printing of this was a nebulon B frigate okay but that contradicted other stuff and it the temperance is a, an mc75 uh mon Cal cruiser
1: oh is it from the game
0: uh, maybe it, it might be from squadrons yeah, yeah. um and uh, and in my Kindle version, they've actually updated it in a couple of places. They even make, like, reference changing some text uh-huh. to specifically say it's an MC-75 Moncal Cruiser. But in one of those instances, there was a... Like, you could tell the line was, you know, it had been a while since she had taken off from a Nebulon B, and they just did a search and replace because they left the A. Oh. So it's AMC mc <laughs> 75 uh-huh. <laughs> Like that just gave me a little chuckle knowing, you know, the a little bit more of like the editorial side of things and the production side with my, you know, my gamma reading for Brandon Sanderson, uh, the fact that we can just push a change out to eBooks now, you know, is, is year, really rather, nice, but yeah. also makes it, you know, technology makes it easy to even when you're fixing something like create a, a different problem. Another yeah, yeah. Like that search and replace is, is really tempting, but sometimes it'll really mess you up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, other than that, I didn't really have anything super nitty gritty in terms of style. I mostly just want to talk about the characters here. Cause I think that's sure. where the strength of this book lies and it starts with Erica Quell. Like she, yeah. You know, as I said, the way she ends the book is a, a great idea. I'm excited to see where that goes but even from the beginning of the book she has this different relationship with aiden now where they're almost friends and you know because she can relax a little bit more around him he knows more of the truth about her right but not all of it and so she still has this wall up and it's a a journey toward the destruction of that wall and and eventually her telling aiden just as he's about to die the truth and and her telling the whole truth is a huge huge deal like i i've been the times i've been frustrated with erica it's been around that and and i understand why as a you know as a human being she would be reticent to tell the whole truth you know she is ashamed of it. it it's it's kind of been to the core of it Um, I'm glad that free didn't feel compelled to keep anything more about her as a mystery in this book, Mm -hmm. the way he did in the last book. Uh, that was an interesting story choice in the last book. And I think mostly he pulled it off, but if he had tried to continue that on, uh, it would have been a little more of a problem. And this is, for instance, uh, for those who've read the Stormlight Archive, I think this is a, a common frustration with one of the characters in Stormlight Archive is that this character in the first book has a whole character arc ultimately revealing a big secret of their past right and then and you're like okay i know this character now but then every book since then has just been oh but that's not the whole secret and we're four books in and it's still kind of having this recycling character arc in the stormlight archive and i'm glad that free didn't go down that path recycling the same arc for Erica in this book.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, what is it? Three books in you get Dalinar's story. and Yeah. yeah. It, it can be done effectively. Like, like right now, just with my own, well, my own reading is wheel of time, but my own listening <laughs> during my commute, um, I've just kind of been going through um, big name series, I guess. And if I like the first one, I keep going. If I don't, okay. I, I return it and get a different one. Um, but I was, or I'm currently on the first uh, Lee Child, Jack Reacher book. Oh, okay. And he does that where it's from a first person. And oh,
0: that's super annoying. It's, yeah, it's <laughs>
1: interesting where it's like you're slowly learning about the character. It's like, oh, by the way, I used to do this which is how I know about this thing that's currently happening. That's a different way of doing it. It's just, um, I know with that book, like it it has a good plot. I want to finish it. Or at least I want to figure out what the mystery is. If it does that with every book, I'm going to go insane.
0: Yeah. See, that's, that would frustrate me a lot in a first person narrative, like in, in a third person, close third person, limited perspective it can be annoying when you're in a character's head and they're withholding information from you. Yeah. Like as if they're aware that they're being observed. Right. Um, But you can kind of get away with it because it's at least it's third person. There's a little bit of a remove, but in a first person point of view, having the character avoid thinking about things, actively hiding information from the reader Mm, like that that is that is too much um that's too much the writer reaching in and manufacturing conflict
1: well there's there's two different ways though there's there's that character's internal monologue whether it be first person or Mm -hmm. third limited where the character themselves is actively denying that information right Mm -hmm. like that's what sanderson does it's like Oh, with yes, that, Shallan, yeah. yes that horrible thing that happened that we're not going to talk about yeah
0: she starts thinking. it. she's like nope not thinking about that
1: yeah and then there's the the lee child way where he writes it in it's just like oh by the way this thing from my past is now relevant in light of current events you know it's uh,
0: but yeah that would annoy me though yeah <laughs> it, it, it just feels manufactured and actually that brings me to uh back to a style point um if there is a criticism I have of Freed's space battles and Starfighter battles,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's that it feels like he's afraid to just have a regular battle. Every time there has to be some crazy twist to the battle, like a gimmick of some kind. Yeah, like yeah. in in Alphabet Squadron for the first part of it, the the twist is they're being chased through the Oradol Cluster, and mm-hmm. and there's like a, a countdown to when they can jump again, and. And you're like okay, like that in and of itself is not a bad thing. You you think about the uh, yeah,
1: it's that Battlestar yeah, episode, the first Battlestar like. episode, yeah.
0: which is one of the best episodes of TV I've ever seen. Yeah, you know, um, but then you as you keep going through that book, there's there's another gimmick and another gimmick and another gimmick, and then here it's the same thing where there's there's got to be a gimmick, whether it's the first part of the battle uh, in the Cerberon system where all the sensors and communications are jammed, mm-hmm. and and you have to completely fly by, you know. Uh, or, or it's, uh, Chass in the kind of the second stage of it where Chass and Erika are flying, they have to be flying damaged ships, you know? And, and then the third stage of the battle is like, all right, now we have a, a ragtag squadron of airspeeders and damaged starfighters, and we're heavily outnumbered and we have to fly through all these canyons or, you know, and, and tunnels and stuff, or the final stage of the battle where it's now now it's like a, a canyon maze and we're supporting ground troops like it's never just like a straight-up starfighter battle and i kind of miss that from mm. the old x-wing books yeah like we we don't get to just enjoy being in the cockpit with the pilot there's always like four or five other extraneous things and it starts to feel really cluttered to me mm-hmm. where it's less about what the character is doing in the conflict and more about just what cool conflict can we come up with next? Gimmicks. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um but now that's that's my last style criticism.
1: (laughs) Well we can move on to um his character
0: work. Mm -hmm. Yeah so Erica. Um not done with Erica. I like she's still my favorite character in this. Yeah. Uh she was by far my favorite character in the first book remains so in this book i'm in general i think a well-done like imperial rebel conflicted like there's a reason why gara petothel lara Notsil is my favorite character in the old x-wing books Similar maybe my favorite idea. character in all of the old expanded universe like i i'm just i love that character arc i love that conflict and Eureka has not the exact same thing, but something very similar. Mm -hmm. And Freed is doing a great job laying it all out. It's, you know, there there are good layers to it. It's been a different conflict in each book. And it looks to be a a new, another conflict, just an extension of it, you know, Um, in the third book. Like these are the kind of areas where I'm reading this book and making mental notes about, how I want to learn lessons and apply things to my own writing. Mm-hmm. You know, there while these books aren't perfect and there there's plenty for me to criticize in them. There are absolutely things that I really love and I want to do better in my own writing. And, and Erica is a good example of that.
1: Yeah. She, she stays strong throughout the whole book. I think it's, I mean, her, her struggle is the main focus, like her, her, discomfort with her current role versus her past but just as a person because he, he writes in some more mundane scenes for her just as a person she's yeah. not she's not grading
0: no nor is she boring i feel like i would get along with her yeah. if i you know
1: she's not just her struggle i guess is what yeah. i mean to say like um she, she's a likable character in her own right
0: yeah and and the flip side of that is like chas who i feel like is just her struggle Like right. she's just grating obnoxious everything about her is like oh my life's awful like she she's like a walking drama queen the character
1: you know? never relaxes yeah yeah and
0: and because of that i can't ever like relax and enjoy what i'm reading about her yeah i, I just want her to shut up
1: <laughs> well yeah, because any any scene you have with Chas, like sometimes she's actively doing something or going through something that's interesting to read. But if that's not happening, she's like pissed off about this yeah. or pissed off about that, and it it's
0: and most of the time there's not even a good reason for her to be pissed off. It's like somebody's trying to be nice to me. Yeah, she's like
1: <laughs> she's just angsty for its own sake. Exactly. It's it's tiring.
0: Yeah, yeah, but. But Will, so Will, I think, on the other hand, had a tremendous improvement as a character. Oh, yeah. I was kind of just meh about him in Alphabet Squadron and in the first part of this book. But once he was sort of forced into command by Nath, that was a much needed step for his character. Like just adding another dimension where it's not all about I'm a good flyer and I want to go home. Like that was Will for a book and a half. And now there's a different conflict, a much better conflict. Like there's nothing original about a soldier who wants to go home. Like that's not interesting to read about. Yeah. Every soldier you could Pretty standard. You know, yeah. Like, but with Will now he has to deal with the, the pressures and responsibilities and anxieties of command. And, he plays off really well with Nath who you know is the over the hill ex commander and he's like you know, I'm going to kind of take you under my wing and and give you the encouragement you need to take the next step for your own sake but also for all our sakes because I'm exhausted I would not be a good commander in this situation you know and so I'm glad that Will and Nath stayed together that was a smart choice by the part of Freed to to use them as sort of a uh, foils in this mini plot line but that that was like that was the biggest improvement in the second half of the book for me was Will and Nath's points of view going from eh, to okay I'm really into this
1: he uses Will effectively also to kind of give a voice and an idea of all the secondary characters where it's so there's all these secondary New Republic um, pilots, soldiers, various people, yeah,
0: Carver and Gorgeous yeah, Sue, and yeah.
1: If um, if Freed tried to like describe all these people in their own in their own right, it would. I'll get i'll I'll get to my point, but basically, okay. if you tried to if you tried to describe each of these individual characters um, and fully flesh them out, it would get tedious and overwhelming. Oh
0: yeah, hundred percent.
1: But we do get a sense of who those characters are based off of Will's perspective.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So
1: those characters still get a voice and have some weight in the story rather than just being names on the page because of how Will sees them and feels about
0: them. Yeah, that is a tough thing to do, especially like in military, military fantasy. Yeah. Like you want the deaths of soldiers to matter, but... You know, like you you just plain don't have the room, the emotional room, yeah. to make them all matter like the main characters. And so you have to find a balance avoiding just like names on a page and bloating the story.
1: Well, like Stormlight, you get a sense of Bridge Four from how Kaladin yeah. feels about each other. Or
0: uh, I can't remember. Have you done The Black Company? Just a bit. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's the best example I know of in terms of like military fantasy and showing through a limited number of perspectives in the black company, mostly one perspective, uh, but turning names into personalities despite not having to a ton of time to spend with those names, especially in the black company, because those are short books. Like, yeah. you know, they're, the the first seven or eight of them are seven of them are like 200 to 250 pages, like half the length of this one. Yeah. And, and even then when certain characters die, you feel it, you know, you, you really feel it because Croker feels it.
1: Well, and I think of, of a book like, um, or a series, I guess, like, wheel of time where there are so many named Uh, characters, it, it doesn't always get to that point where a lot of the time there are a bunch of randos who I don't remember what they look like or what their personalities are who are named. And I'm like, I I haven't (laughs) heard about that person for 600 pages. And I, who, who, and I have to get on the wiki to remind myself like who they are. So in like a, a military or fantasy, um, but it, it military sci-fi fantasy books. Um, I think it's a good way to give voice to those secondary characters by using your main POV character as their as the interpreter.
0: Right, and and like you at a certain level, you have to do that. Yeah. But with this, where we have so many different POVs, will really is kind of the one character freed uses for yeah. this purpose
1: and is is the better for it
0: yeah yeah um yeah let's see who else do we have the uh, keys sort of keys uh he was other than Eurica, he was my favorite part of the first book and again i think that's the case here like the well he i love his competence i love his sort of unique perspective on the empire there was a great line toward the end of the book uh yeah, in fact, right at the end of the book when he's uh, in contact with Sloane and he thinks to himself that she was a, had a reputation for being a patriot and a military officer through and through. And he thinks he himself had never been the former and he hopes to meet her on level ground as the latter. Mm -hmm. And I like that idea. So many imperial points of view that we get in order to help us as readers connect with the point of view, even if, if it's an antagonist, but this has been the thing going back decades of Star Wars fiction is they're loyalists. Mm-hmm. They're patriots. They truly believe in what the empire is doing.
1: Right.
0: And Keys, I think is the first one I can remember who's like, a an Imperial through and through, but, openly considers himself not a loyalist
1: he's apathetic about the politics yeah
0: he's like i am here to do my job as a military officer and that's it i don't care about you know the grand mission of the empire right it's i'm here to you know disperse my responsibilities
1: well and the next book just runs with him it's it's hard not to dip into that but i'll i'll refrain yeah, yeah. um his his motivations are so much more than like the mustache twirling bad guy. Yeah.
0: Um, when you compare him to someone like Curtin lure. Yeah. You
1: know, well, and, and, and Laura's fine. I, 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 like Laura as a character. Yeah,
0: um, but he's a very different sort of person.
1: From yeah. King's. He's, he's all about like in his own internal monologue, he's talking about like the empire's ideologies and, and yeah. how he agrees with them. And, um, how, how, the terrible things he's doing or serving that broader yeah, and mission he's power
0: hungry. He's yeah. trying to climb the ladder. And a lot of Imperial characters are like that. Yeah. And keys is not like in, in a way he's chasing power in this book, but it's, it's more, it's less so like pursuing power for power's sake and more a, uh, a desire for uh, like reclaiming his old station, mm-hmm. you know, turning back the clock.
1: Um, when you get the sense he wants to be in a position of, of authority, not for its own sake, but because he thinks he can best serve his subordinates.
0: Yeah. It's like the kind
1: of leadership that, that all those leadership books tell you you should aspire to, uh-huh. in, in which he's seeking to serve the people under him, look out for their best interests. Like that seems to be his primary motivation as a leader rather than. Selfish, like typical bad guy. Yeah, yeah.
0: And his scenes with uh, Governor Yadi's were some of the standouts in the book mm-hmm. because he was a lot of it was his internal ruminations on what it means to him to be leading Shadowing and what it what it means to her to be the governor of this world, mm-hmm. and he's struggling with the idea that he's sort of betraying her he's leading her on allowing her to think we're here to free your planet and, and defeat the the rebels when really he's just, I'm using your resources so I can get the heck out of here and save my pilots. Uh, I, yeah, that was a very strong secondary plot line in this book. Uh, and, and again, like with, Eureka! I'm super excited to see where Keys goes, especially because now they're in close proximity to each mm-hmm. other. I'm very excited to see how that dynamic plays out.
1: They have a lot of good scenes together, and and as Keys's ultimate goal comes together, it it's very it's very effective. I'm looking forward to the next book. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: and we will be doing the next book. I'm not sure when it'll fall in the uh, schedule here, but we'll be. Probably in the next month or two, we'll record that episode. Should be a fun time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess just on that topic, there will be further Star Wars episodes beyond that, of course. So
1: Plenty of yeah. content there, too. Yeah.
0: We, we got got a few things to get through first, but also I know uh, the New Jedi Order is on the table. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But let's see, do you, are there any other characters you want to talk about?
1: Um, I think that pretty much does it. We we could talk maybe more about Chas's experience with the cult.
0: So I was going to bring up Aiden that we kind of got Aiden's background.
1: Oh uh, yeah,
0: the kind of the shame that he was carrying around, abandoning mm-hmm. the prisoners and escaping with Kairos and Ito. Mm-hmm. Um, Aiden was I don't know, like it, it was interesting. I I thought. At a certain point, like after he gets injured, like he gets captured and, and he's all messed up. Um, he's really belligerent toward uh, Erica, which was was frustrating because I liked their dynamic when they were friendly at the beginning of the book. Uh-huh. But then when they were on the planet. Um, oh, the like. The Sith planet. Sith
1: planet, whatever it is.
0: He, at one point, uh, we know now he had like a blood infection and he was dying and he was delirious. I was really hoping in the one scene when he like came after Erika and she had to fight him off and, and uh, ITO drugged him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I was hoping that he was like under some Sith
1: sorcery, oh, some sort of
0: yeah. influence. Uh, Cause like, no, I'll, I'll save that for favorite scenes later. But, but I was, I was hoping that that would go a different way and that, he was going to survive and there would be a a more uh, like a full reversion to an antagonism Mm -hmm. between Erica and Aiden uh, for the third book. I I think I'm still mostly satisfied that he died the way he did. And and Erica he was sort of a vehicle for Erica admitting, you know, her her truth, Mm -hmm. but it would have been fun if, if he got like, brain controlled by some sith magic i
1: kind of thought it was going that way when i first went through it but yeah. just because of the, the like sith temple you know kind mm-hmm. of as a counter counterpoint to the jedi temple in the last book
0: right yeah
1: um but yeah blood infection whatever i it still served the plot like it it works for me yeah yeah
0: uh a, a kind of a brief style point on that I should have realized he wasn't going that direction with the Sith magic thing because this these two books feel they don't feel like Star Wars to me hmm. there's there's a magic to Star Wars there's a an attitude to Star Wars that I have come to know and love through the many, many, many books and games and shows. The fantasy element. Yeah. And freed is Mm. hewing much more toward a hard sci-fi element. And I think that goes back to some of my criticisms about like how he doesn't use certain technologies. Yeah. Like inertial compensators on a certain level, like are magic, right? Like it's, it's,
1: it works because we say it does.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and <clears throat> instead of using those, it allows him to bring in like a grittier realism and make it more like flying a fighter jet in 2022 on earth. Uh, and like, I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing and I'm sure there are people out there who love it, but it, it's just missing a certain charm.
1: Well, you can only make star wars so realistic right um i i think there's something to be i don't even know how to describe this but i've noticed a difference in different star wars works where they do a very good job of making the star wars universe feel real in the context of star wars yes so like the the Zodan books for instance uh-huh things work like they do like, like there's a few rules he adheres to that that make that work things work like they do in the movies when he comes yeah. up with new technologies they're not like They're not overly analyzed. Like the cloaking devices, it's like it makes it invisible. How does it do it? Crystals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's all you need to know. (laughs) Um, Why do these things hover? Because they have a little engine that makes them hover. That's all you need. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. that descriptive, but it works because you've seen it on screen or it's close to those same ideas. Or like the interdictor is a thing in the Thrawn trilogy that's new. It pulls things out of hyperspace. Why does it do it? It projects a gravity shaft. How not, I don't know, it
0: just does with those big bulbs
1: with, on it. Yeah, with the, with the big bulbs on the ship. Oh, yeah. yeah, it just does. Um, and when you try to do a hard sci-fi Star Wars, we, I'm not saying Free does this, but like it has that feel. Yeah, it, it it's not like he's going super into the technology, but it, it's um, it's almost like a hard military sci-fi in the way people talk yes. in these situations. Mm-hmm. It's there, there's there's no whimsy to it there's no yeah
0: that's a really good fantasy to it that's a really good uh, way to put it and maybe that's what i was failing to grasp on cuz like we again we talked about this in the alphabet squadron episode but the first as a as an expanded universe legends fan going into this the first comparison you are compelled to make is with Wraith Squadron because it's your are a misfit mm-hmm. You know, squadron who has to come together to learn how to work as a team. You know, blah blah blah.
1: We're going to take thirty dozen and turn it into Top Gun. Yeah,
0: and but space. in in Wraith Squadron, even though it deals with some of the heaviest themes in the in the old Expanded Universe, you know, PTSD, treason. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all, all kinds of. I mean, they're a misfit squadron because they're all really messed up people. You know, they're damaged people. But despite that, Alston manages to bring in that whimsy. The race squadron books are funny.
1: Well, there's, there's you know almost no humor. Yes, in the alphabet squadron exactly. books, exactly. They're they're very um, they're just very austere. And and like,
0: even when we get scenes where the characters are laughing, I don't buy it. Like yeah. there isn't anything funny going on they're just laughing because Fried is telling us they're laughing. Yes. And like, like they play this,
1: see my characters, they're normal.
0: Look yeah. <laughs> yeah. They play this like who, who, how, why game.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: And in that, that doesn't feel natural to me. It doesn't feel like a natural um, human alien person interaction. It mm-hmm. feels like something that Alexander Fried came up with. So he can be like, Ooh, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what these characters are like by having them play this game.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, whereas in the Wraith books, we would see scenes like that with downtime and it feels very natural. It feels well, realistic. Mm-hmm. And that's how pilots would unwind in this kind of a situation.
1: Not every scene can be written with the purpose of giving information to the reader. Like some scenes just have to exist for,
0: so that's as a writer i don't know if i agree with that completely Mm -hmm. but but i i agree with i think the underlying feeling that you're you're getting across is that as a writer every scene needs to have a purpose but if you're reading the book and you can just transparently see the purpose of every scene. I
1: think that's what I'm getting. Yeah.
0: It, it's like, it's not very satisfying. It becomes more about like, I am reading what this author is writing. Not I am experiencing the story of like this
1: character. I don't want to be aware of the utility of every yeah. scene.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like, and, and that's something that, uh, you know, the more educated you become on like writing stories or or films like i I remember vividly one of my uh uh classes in college was a science fiction fantasy world literature course and the class was split into books and movies and we would have a a book and a movie together in a unit that had like a shared theme you Mm -hmm. know so there was uh the first unit was dawn by octavia butler and district 9 Oh, okay. And so, you know, it was themes of xenophobia Mm -hmm. and racism and and stuff like that. And then the second theme was do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep and Blade Runner. And then there was, uh, let's see if I can remember, uh, Left Hand of Darkness and Gattaca. And and then I don't remember what the final book was, but it was Avatar was the final movie. But anyway, so like we start this class and, uh, you know, our professor gets up. And he's like you know i'm gonna apologize to everybody right now because i am going to ruin popular entertainment for you in this class he's like by the time if you learn anything in this class by the time you get out of it you will not be able to watch fun movies like this and have fun doing it and and that's you know a bit of a an exaggeration of blanket statement because you can choose to turn that off and on but it is the truth that when i sit down and read a book now I have to consciously turn that switch off if I don't want to be looking at the gears and the guts of the story and and analyzing how the writing actually went and how the story is put together instead of enjoying the ride of the story.
1: Well, and this isn't to say – so like there there are scenes in this book where I do – or where I did lose myself. Yes, um, they're there, but by and large, and especially during action scenes and downtime scenes, mm-hmm. scenes that are supposed to be fun. But during those two types of scenes, me, without that educational background, I saw the nuts and bolts of the writer's process.
0: Uh, it's I, I think it's hilarious because it, exactly the same for me, The the downtime scenes and the action scenes. Yeah when there are pure character moments, that was when it was easier for me. Like exactly. some of the stuff with Erica and Aiden and ITO on the Sith world. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the scenes with Chas in the cult. Right. I, I lost myself in the story. I found myself reading faster and not stopping and thinking about what I was reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the downtime scenes and a lot of the action scenes I'm, as I'm reading along, I'm thinking about how he wrote those scenes.
1: I'm I'm finding that with a lot, with pretty much everything I'm reading or listening to right now, is like I'm I'm picking up on where I get pulled out of the story. Yeah. Um, whether it's too many eyes to die on a page, and we all or it's oh th- this is this is a tangent. <laughs> this is a tangent. A- Any time I. You can add this out later. <laughs> it's just I just thought of this. I'm reading a lot of mystery books now, or listening to a lot of mystery books, like all these uh-huh. like big ones. Any time the main character gets laid, it pulls me out of it. Uh, I, and maybe I can't relate this back to Alphabet Squadron, but it's it's the uh, the shoehorned related relatability. Um, hey, here's my character having a human experience that you the reader have so that you feel more yeah. empathic with with the character mm-hmm. um it's like that, that's just one example like like male protagonist in mystery novel gets gets laid by a random female character um it's the not like the other girls type yeah, female yeah, yeah. character um, it's uh, i'm trying to think of another example Tropes. It's character tropes. It's character tropes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not just character tropes, but like character tropes where it feels like the author is trying to get you to like buy into the character more to like identify with the character more.
0: Um, And so a little bit of a different thing. So I wasn't originally going to bring this up, um, but I know I commented on this to you. A little while ago when i had first started reading shadowfall um you used the word shoehorned and this is something that is definitely present in disney canon star mm-hmm. wars there is a a real effort being made by the creators to insert political stances
1: oh you're gonna love the next book yeah uh <laughs>
0: So and and I know like the the knee jerk reaction from people when they hear this criticism is like, "Oh, Star Wars has always been about politics." And then, yes, Star Wars has always had political commentary in it, but it's uh, like it was never as heavy handed as this. Yeah. Like uh, when when the story, how do I put this? Like.
1: <laughs> give, give an example in 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 the
0: so book. well in in Shadowfall. The mm-hmm. the comment that I made to you was that, like, uh, I think I texted you, and I was like, "Is there any straight character in this book?"
1: Uh, and because,
0: like, and and you responded, you are like, "Well, Nath is straight," and and I said, "I don't know if he is. I just read a scene <laughs> where he's like flirting with some soldiers, and they use the word flirting,
1: uh-huh.
0: you know." And and Geez,
1: maybe <laughs> yeah, and like
0: <laughs> it, it's it's like having. LGBT characters in a book is not something that I actively dislike or anything. I mean, just look at some of my favorite books we've covered on this podcast, but it has to be, okay. but when, but yeah, when like everybody just wants to bang everybody, it becomes less about like, Oh, this is just the natural way that people go about sexual relationships. It becomes more that this author is trying to make a point. Well, and you know,
1: I can go back to, to when i first started on that tangent where it's like maybe maybe it's sexuality in in general not even like a because you're talking about like a shoehorn diversity it's like is there any character that's straight in this book and then other times it's uh, older novels that i'm reading it's you get
0: a, tokenized you get yeah
1: yeah tokenized um
0: i mean i think of uh one of one of the most disappointing books I've ever read, The Last Call at the Nightshade Lounge by Paul Kruger. Amazing concept. I was so excited. The the whole idea of this is that there's this secret society of bartenders. And when you perfectly mix a cocktail, it gives you magical powers. And these bartenders will like make drinks to give themselves powers to go out and fight demons that try to prey on drunk people. Because alcohol, like inebriation attracts the demons. It's a great concept horrible execution in large part because of this like i mean i could not get over the feeling of this author had a diversity checklist and he had to make sure every character checked off one of these boxes yeah and there was never any overlap like you you can't have two black characters you can't have two lesbian characters you have to have one character who's black Disabled and gay. You have to have one character who's Canadian and lesbian and has ADHD. Like, it was like, it, no two characters shared any traits. Each one was just a, a diversity checklist packaged into a character. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I could not get that out of my head when I was reading the story and also had a really dissatisfying conclusion. But, but it was like, 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 I get that he wanted to write a diverse cast of characters but it felt so artificial because of the way he did it, you know, like, and, and so there's like, there's different ways you can go about writing diversity in books and have it feel natural, have it feel like the real diverse world we live in, the diverse human experience that we have. But when you, when you just like overwhelm one minority label and make everybody in the story that it stands out, and that's how I felt in this one where I was just like every single character is at least bisexual or, or gay. There are no straight characters and yeah. And like the I, story's not even about that, but it stood out to me because it was such an overwhelming authorial choice.
1: I, and it doesn't really, it, they free also just uses it as, flavor like the characters sexual preferences aren't really discussed in any kind of broader context
0: see i'm hoping like we we've gotten some hints uh with erica and then it's stated outright you know towards the end when she's talking with uh ito about uh dang it what was her name the oh her past relationship yeah Yeah. like i want to like i want to know more about Erika's relationships. I want to see how, you know, that plays out. I want to see what she would be like in a romantic relationship. And so like in that sense, it almost felt like a tease where I'm like, yeah, I, I," even just the way she described it where she's like, I wouldn't call it a romance. Mm -hmm. Like her saying that tells you a lot about her character. Yeah. So like in that instance, like, you know, it, it doesn't really even matter like who she was in love with. It's how she approaches the relationship and that reveals something about her character whereas all these other people we don't get any revelation about who they are as people it's just like an offhanded comment to like say oh yeah he's going off with a dude tonight and he's going off with a girl the next night so it's the author just saying like hey 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 look look i have a lgbt character (laughs) i have a bi
1: character yeah yes um well So yeah, so the character the characters have like kind of a very surface level. Check the diversity box, like sexuality. Mm-hmm. There, there's other broader themes that like, there's some really deep stuff that Star Wars could be used as a vehicle for analyzing while still being fun. Yeah, that just hasn't been done. Like, it used to be that the Empire was, heavily sexist and there's not really racism in star wars but there's species yeah right that's used as the vehicle like to talk about race right and by all means somebody correct me i just haven't seen the disney stuff going in that way and there's so many ways you could do it that would be like different and and new like we haven't had How how come we haven't had like a rebellion or new Republic character who doesn't like aliens? They gotta be out there. That could be something that there's a character Mm -hmm. that like they, they go through like there's no.
0: Like cast and Don in, in the race squadron books, uh, one one of the pilots he's, he's a rebel through and through he's Mm -hmm. super anti-imperial, but he's also super anti-alien. And like he, he gets given a bunk with an alien pilot and he goes and complains to try to get moved to somebody else's room and tries to make up a whole bunch of excuses to not admit that he's not comfortable around aliens. Uh-huh. And like and and there's a you know, there's a plot line around that. Yeah. And like I want to see that sort of thing in these books instead of um, just like a paint job of diversity over it.
1: Timothy Zahn uses the Bothans um kind of like a lot of kind of like a lot of real world examples it's like hey here's this insular highly traditional society that thinks they're better than everyone else yeah. and behaves accordingly
0: yep.
1: like that's it it's fun to have commentary on cultures um ethnicities in in a sci-fi um it, using sci-fi to yeah. talk about those things
0: like you would think that disney with the social agenda that they very clearly have right uh would want want to do that yes yeah
1: and i think there's i think there's a timidity and it kind of just comes
0: across as really shallow
1: well it kind of gets back towards our oft stated criticism that a lot of disney star wars just feels like a product
0: yes that's
1: that's what it all comes down to alphabet squadron these three books do do a pretty good job of feeling like something more genuine, but it's not.
0: But it's not Star Wars. It's not Star Wars.
1: It's not Star Wars to me either. And there's probably, there's going to be people who read these and think they're the greatest thing ever and it does feel like Star Wars to them. And it
0: may be for for people who are looking for that kind of story.
1: And Star Wars comes with so much baggage for us. Like we're such old
0: it's that hard to get my point. head out of a certain headspace. It, it
1: really yeah. is. Um, but I just look at other sci-fi works that I really appreciate. I mean, you name it, I'll, I'll just say my three favorites off the top of my head. You've got Firefly, you've got Battlestar, and you've got The Expanse. Yeah. And I've seen the way all three of those shows in very different ways have dealt with very serious themes and a fun, adventurous yeah, kind yeah. of story way of doing it that the this era of star wars this current era of star wars media is is just not yeah off.
0: that's like a good point again you use the word fun yeah whether you use whimsy but like most of the time reading alphabet squadron and shadowfall i'm not having i'm not having fun. Fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> i read science fiction and fantasy in part to have fun yeah yeah they're good uh, yeah i feel Their like quality. i feel like i'm coming across way more critical of this book this, than, a, this than is it is probably a... deserves like it, it is a well put together book it's a well-written book it's
1: a good piece of military sci-fi uh
0: but like i it's just not hitting the right buttons for me some of the time
1: and even the next book um i think it's excellent i i love the um i guess primary motivation and plot yeah that he comes up with love it it's fantastic still just
0: spoiler
1: alert still didn't think it was fun
0: okay yeah because like when i when i read alphabet squadron i probably would not have read on were we not covering these for the podcast yeah because i didn't have fun this one even if we weren't covering it for the podcast i would read the third book like i i was interested enough in the story and the characters to want to read more
1: I have only read one newer post-Disney Star Wars book that was fun for me.
0: Interesting. Okay. Which one was that?
1: Lost Stars.
0: Yeah, that's the one I've heard probably the most praise for in the new And here's the
1: thing. There's so much praise for it that it gets a bit overhyped for people. Mm -hmm. And then they read it and they're like, I don't see what the big deal is. And that's the thing where it's not like – it's not – Profound. It's not like there's no wow to it. It's just fun.
0: Okay, interesting. It's yeah, simple and fun. Like I, I saw a, I don't even remember what Reddit thread it was, but people were talking about uh, the best Star Wars books. Uh-huh. And so many, you know, I think it started off with a, oh no, you know, it was a YouTube video. It was a YouTube video from Eckhart's Ladder. Mm, uh, that's right. Where he mentions how uh, Plagueis is his favorite Star Wars book. He, yeah. he said, like, in my opinion, the best Star Wars book. And, and people in the comments are talking about it, And somebody said Lost Stars is the best Star Wars book. And I just, I remember kind of thinking, like, maybe I really do need to go check that out. Because if Lost Stars is even in the same conversation as the stuff written by Stover and Lucino, eh. like...
1: Eh. <laughs> it, it, it's good. It, yeah, it's, yeah. it's fun. It's... Um, I, I wish there were more new Star Wars books that were like lost stars that were just kind of a simple adventure story. Um, And lost stars is cool because you have like, you have an Imperial and you have a rebel and you get each of their perspectives on the events of the galaxy, Mm -hmm. like through the original trilogy, basically. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Nice. And it's a good time, but I'm not going to put it up there with, uh, I don't know, putting it up there with (laughs) some of the greats. Yeah, Plagueis, Revenge of the Sith, novel, um, Some of the better NJO stuff. Yeah, it's not on that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah. So I think uh, we're, we're starting to run a little long, uh, but we should talk final draft here. Oh no, you know what? We got we got to do three favorite scenes.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Um, we can we can just kind of rapid. Fire you know what? These,
1: you but... do it because it's been like a year since I read this. Okay. Book, okay. So go with yours.
0: All right. Well, so my third favorite scene uh, was. The scene with Keys and Governor Yeez mm. when he realizes that she's understood him the whole time mm. and that she was kind of letting him use her people. Uh, my second scene was Erica on the freighter when Keys comes back to save the Airy uh-huh. and shoots her down, and she recognizes his his flying style. Yeah, yeah like, I was, really liked that. Was that. Good. And but the best. The best scene, really, it's a sequence, was Erica outside the Sith Temple. Mm-hmm. That was excellent writing, yep. excellent character work, uh, really compelling imagery. I love the the whole idea of the temple and this like focal lens putting the the light of the uh the black hole focusing on one area and and obviously some Sith magic going on because it also brings in like all these nightmares and and like gravitic anomalies mm-hmm. and uh that was just super super cool
1: one honorable but, mention then okay um not to place in any kind of ranking i i like uh because i listened to this on audiobook so i don't know how things are spelled but um chas's interaction with the cult leader who i always like latige oh i always refer to as lettuce in my head um, <laughs> just because of the way they
0: let you it's like l-e-t apostrophe i-j something yeah like that.
1: um but i always like it when star wars has um like a character or perspective that exists outside of the rebels or empire yeah or outside of the jedi or sith so like having this like kind of pseudo religious cult is just like it's it's fun universe building and i like the challenge she brings to like chasse's perspective if she there. can make
0: chest chill out a little bit that'd be great yeah <laughs> um, <but> yeah let's <laughs> she <let's> failed. <laughs> let's move on to the final draft uh i am just drinking some water uh obviously i'm not drinking alcohol these days but also i have uh doubleheader hockey games for a championship in a couple hours so I'll i'm hydrating it. myself anyway yeah uh but john you were drinking a beer
1: yes this is um a tropical sour brewed with coconuts Passion fruit, macadamia nuts, macadamia nut blossom honey, and natural flavors, quote unquote.
0: Okay, from Weldworks. From
1: Weldworks.
0: And uh, this one, this this is for for Major Keys. What he's trying to do in the early parts of the book is get back into the Captain's Club.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> Good choice.
0: Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so that brings us to the end of this episode. This has been, oh, I need to look at the the spreadsheet. The I think this is yeah, episode 178 of oh, the evening wow. Out Loud podcast. Up, uh, next up, next week, we're going to be returning to the Shadow of the Torturer, covering chapters 23 through 27. And Rob will be back for that. So check it out as we continue on with the Book of the New Sun. As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, not, wow, you can tell how much I'm just, like, in (laughs) in that mode. Uh, With me is my special guest, John.
1: Consultant. Uh, Yeah, thank you again for having
0: me. Star Wars consultant. I like it. Yeah. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.